deals in money. We are constantly seeking deals in money as real estate investors. And I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals, or you can follow up with your investors. And you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Followup Boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial for a limited time. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. So I feel at this point, value add multifamily is kind of like squeezing from an orange, which has already been squeezed way too many times. And I do have an abundance mindset, but I do think deals are far and few between the real deals. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Kavita Barataki. Kavita is joining us from Austin, Texas. She's the founder of Cherry Street Investments, which focuses on creating passive income through multifamily, mobile home parks, assisted living, and self-storage. Kavita has a GP on over 2,000 units, 179 beds, a new construction townhome, and two lane development deals in Austin, Texas. Kavita, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm great, Dash. Thanks for having me on. I've heard so much about your podcast, so I was like, got to be on Best Ever. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. Thank you. Before we get started, can you give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. I am a techie by background. I was in technology for 20 years and I transitioned slowly but surely into single family homes. A lot of people in the investing world have this journey where we figure out that, hey, we're going to do real estate and the only kind of real estate we know is single family homes. So I did that for almost seven, eight years and then had some issues with scaling and started looking at multifamily. And years later, in multifamily, investing as a passive investor, and then got into the GP side of things. And here I am doing land development and also dipping my toes into senior living now. So it's been quite a journey because when I started, I really started from nowhere. And I know we were talking before about failures. And I think everybody has a lot of failures before they see success. And for me, I got a divorce in 2007, and that's where I started with nothing, literally. And the stock market crash happened in 2008, so my nothing was reduced to half of nothing in the stock market. So that was an interesting place to start right after divorce. So 
the last 12 years has really been focused on growing. And money is one of those things where it's more a mindset thing, meaning that what I realized with my failures, I lost a lot of money in the stock market. I used to trade options when I first started. I lost a lot of money in the options. I made money too, but I lost equally as much. And one of the things I realized early on is my relationship with money is that treat money like a resource. It can be made, it can be lost. And if you get too hung up with it, it's just one of those things you really cannot let money define you or otherwise shape you because you are the creator of money and money doesn't dictate who you become. Amazing. So many things I want to dive into. In 2007, you must have thought the universe was against you and you bounced back. All right. So you also very nonchalantly said, I got into becoming a GP. You don't just get into becoming a GP. Tell us how you got there. Again, what you see on the surface when people are successful, you see how good they've become or where they are, but you don't see all the stuff they've gone through to get there usually, right? Like we all want the good stuff and we don't want the bad stuff. It took me almost three years to become a GP, but not because I wasn't really trying to become a GP. I joined this multifamily mentoring group out of Dallas and my focus was to buy my own apartment because I had some homes that I wanted to do a 1031 exchange into apartments because from a scale standpoint, these homes weren't making sense to me. I invested in them over a period of time from 2008 or nine, actually. So long story short, when I started getting on this, understanding the whole syndication process and all of that, I really didn't want to be asking people for money. So I focused more on how can I buy my own little apartment complex and run it and have cash flow and retirement, right? Very simple goal. So Really looking for GP wasn't one of those things, but I did have a lot of issues finding the apartment that I was after. And I realized from that experience that I'm not necessarily an acquisitions person. And they say a lot in real estate, your first deal is the hardest. It takes the longest time to get the first one. And then after that, somehow the universe conspires and maybe you believe in yourself and your ability after that point. It just things start moving much faster. So my first deal was the hardest in apartments. I did pass it, but to become a GP was like an uphill battle because I didn't really know where to start. I had a mentoring group, but I really wasn't sure what part of the GP role I wanted to play. I knew I wasn't good at acquisitions. I had tried that for three years very unsuccessfully. So it was sort of a coincidence to meet someone who directed me on the path that I would become a GP and do the rest of the stuff. And Kavita, what was that first deal? It was an apartment complex in Atlanta. And honestly, I had such a small role to play in it. But I feel like at least this is the way I look at it right now. A lot of people post all these cool deals like, oh, I closed a 300 unit, 400 unit. I mean, you and me know it's meaningless, right? <laughs> What's your role in the number of units? I cringe a little bit when I hear people say, oh, 2,200 doors, 350 AUM. It's just all these numbers that we get caught up in. But really, what is your role? What did you learn? What did you have to do in that project? And how much do you enjoy yourself at the end of the day? For me, those were more definitions. For me, that was a very small deal. Now looking back, I'm like really realizing how small my role was, but I enjoyed it so much. I enjoyed it so much because one, I just realized I had found what I liked doing, which is talk to investors, raise capital. That piece of it for me, educating people, 
talking to them and helping them make a good investment is just super important. I realize that's what drives me now. It's not so much the size of the deal. It's just the quality of conversations I have with people and I feel like I'm solving a problem for them. So I think it started there. I did a deal in Atlanta with a big group. It was like 200 something units. We actually sold that for 44% investor returns. We sold it last year. I still am in 2021. But the bottom line was, it was great for me to learn how to talk to investors. It was great to have someone handhold me when I had questions. And I think everybody starts somewhere. And that for me was just the perfect size where I didn't have a whole lot of pressure to deliver something. But at the same time, I got exposure to a great group of people and they really helped me through the initial hiccups of trying to raise capital. How did you connect with that group? So you were looking for your own small multifamily and now you're part of the GP side of this big group. How did you get to that point? So interestingly, I just want to preface, I don't really work with that group much anymore. We kind of parted ways, not any reason, but I just grew into another set of groups and uh, we started working together. So how I met these people was really interesting. I was full-time in tech. I had a work event for that whole week, the week that I met them. And I didn't really want to go do another event. You know how us real estate people, we are trying to do these events on the weekends. Most of them have full-time jobs that they're trying to do. So that was me. And that was a particularly rough week for me at the job. But there was just something inside me. I was like, I need to go to this event. And this was in Tampa. I really wanted to go to that event. I had no idea why there was something calling me. I'm like, I need to make this event happen. So literally, I'm trying to fly out Friday evening and missed a day of the event, but I still made it there because I had flight delays on top of that. But anyway, I heard this person, one of the speakers, and I was like immediately drawn to talking to him. So I went after the event on the evening and I caught up with him and I said, hey, I really enjoyed your talk and we have a lot in common and love to connect with you and set up some time to talk to you later. And it just started like that. And he became sort of my unofficial mentor. And it was just destiny. (laughs) That's awesome. I also like what you said about not throwing those numbers out there. I have 30,000 doors. Well, really tell me more. Like really you're an investor with somebody else as a passive LP and you're claiming 30,000 doors. So I'm glad you agree with that. I think we should try to change the entire industry and stop throwing those numbers out there. Instead, talk about your role. Talk about what value you're offering your partners or your investors. I love that. One more thing I want to ask you about is you said money is just a mindset. To a lot of people, money is the sole reason they're doing what they're doing. And you apparently think very differently. Can you elaborate on that? I grew up in, I wouldn't say poor, but middle class in India. And middle class in India is not middle class here. You have an Indian background, and I think you understand that, is that if you visit India, you'll be shocked at the middle class living in India. No running water, all these things we take for granted here. So I think all of the immigrants who come here really have this special appreciation for things we didn't have back home. And now that we have it here, I feel like we are, I'm always in awe. So anyway, coming back to the money bit, I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And it was sort of this idea in my head at a very young age that 
I would never want for anything in my life. That's how it would be. That would be my relationship with money because I did feel when I was young that I wanted a lot of things that I couldn't get. Which in retrospect, as an adult now, I think maybe that was a good thing that really created that wanted me to go after what I wanted and to know that I would be self-sufficient and fine when I was an adult. But anyway, I think for me after the divorce, especially it was my chance to sort of reset and start over. And I won't say I'm devoid of greed and other human emotions. I do have them. And I realized how much of a human I am when I started trading options, because every day would be a good day until I lost money. And I just realized money cannot dictate how I feel about my day. It cannot. So I got really good after a certain point, I'd say about isolating myself and worrying about ups and downs with money and with trading. So I think there was some important lessons there for me when I started trading. It wasn't about making money. I didn't get away with making a lot of money at the end of the day. I probably made some and I got into my first home. It helped me buy my first home in real estate. Because the one thing I learned there is I don't want to deal with the ups and downs. I want something more stable. So it kind of helped me transition away from stock market, really, altogether, even though options are the more riskier part of stock market. And I got into real estate. But I think that experience changed my perception of money because today I think, okay, let's say the market crashes. People worry so much. You know, the one thing I'm not worried about is that I know I have the ability to create this all over again. And that ability counts for something. It doesn't matter what the market does. It doesn't matter what my wealth looks like. I know that I have the ability to do this over again. So that changed me in 2008-9 when I was trading options. I just realized I have the ability. Nobody can take that away from me. It's a resource. We'll get back to the show. But first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but... You can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. I think it's a gift 
when you grow up without a lot of money because it drives you and it produces that hunger inside of you to want more and to chase what you're after. And a lesson to a lot of these options traders out there right now, it seems like when the market is high and volatile is when the options traders come out of the woodwork and they're riding high until they're not. And you and I have been around long enough to know how that story typically ends for a lot of people. And I'm sure you see it now. There's a lot of people that are learning options, getting into options and bragging about how much money they made today or on this one trade. So just a off the cuff warning to my options traders out there. You also mentioned if you had to do a reset right now, what would you do? Let's take a 30 day period of time. Imagine your money is all tied up, gone, whatever. You've just got you and very limited resources. How do you start over? You know what I've realized is that I have a lot of skills that I've built up in the last 10 years in real estate. So there are a couple of different ways. Let's say I have nothing. I could go one, do commercial real estate as a realtor. I have a real estate license. So I think that I have to obviously build up a seed capital, at least for becoming an investor. Even if I'm a GP, I still need capital. So if I had nothing, I would have to start somewhere and first create that capital to get started. After that, I found commercial realty pretty lucrative, even wholesaling a couple of commercial land deals that I've done recently, along with what I'm doing usually. That's one thing with multifamily and all these other projects we're doing. It's kind of building that long-term wealth. But when you're starting, you want some short, quick wins, I think. So if I were to start over again, I'd look at some short, quick wins and then take that money to do the long haul. Hey, I'm going to invest in this and I'm going to grow this uh, capital here. So I think that's kind of where I would go. Got it. I want to get into your land development deals. And I also want to ask you, a lot of people say, stick to what you know, stick to one asset class. You're bouncing around to several different asset classes. What do you say to those people that say, why are you doing senior living? Why are you doing self-storage? And why are you doing land development? So I'm not correct that I'm not doing self-storage. Probably need to fix that on my bio, wherever that is. I stand corrected. I am doing multifamily. I am doing land development as well as I'm getting into CNN. So there is a method behind the badness, right? I love multifamily. I think multifamily is great, but I've also seen what's happening with the cap rates in multifamily. You just squeezing it, right? you know, it's getting squeezed down. So I feel at this point, value add multifamily is kind of like squeezing from an orange, which has already been squeezed way too many times. And I do have an abundance mindset, but I do think deals are far and few between the real deals. So at this point, last year, I started thinking, okay, this is great, but the returns are getting squeezed and I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, okay, I don't really see how this could grow. If the interest rates go up, this is going to get even tighter, which is happening now. So I started getting into land development about last year because I met this person and we started talking about land. And my idea of land has always been, oh, you buy land, you hold, there's no cash flow, it sucks, period. (laughs) I viewed everything as, okay, not a cash flow asset, it's not a good asset, period. And then I sort of woke up and I said, oh my God, these people have been raking money in by the millions in land, just holding land. 
but I don't still feel comfortable with this whole land banking strategy, which is to hold land and pray appreciate. But then when I saw the adding value to land strategy, I was convinced. I was like, okay, this makes sense to me. So what I heard at back then was just this whole entitlement and process of permitting the land, taking the land from raw land to shovel-ready land itself doubles or more the cost of the land per foot. So for me, that is a value-add strategy where I take this piece of land and I make it buildable. And it's within my control in the sense that, yes, you have to work with the city, the county, whoever is has jurisdiction over that piece of land. But there is a real value you can add to that land. And land purchased in the right location does not really lose value. Unless there's something, some event that's going to happen in the future that we, none of us know about. I don't know World War Three, what it's going to do. But I do believe in a growth market like Austin, where everything around is growing, we haven't lost value in land in a very long time. And I saw this growing up in India as well. People banked on land and bought acres of land and just sat on it. So I started looking in more into it. And I suddenly occurred to me that not every investor I have needs the cash but they could use that help to grow their equity much faster. So land doesn't offer cash flow, but it offers a huge growth in equity. So we are doing about 25% on our land deals a year. I can't do that in multi-family, it's impossible. So I felt like from a diversification standpoint, especially as someone who's taking an investor capital and deploying in projects, I am not trying to do the land deal myself. I'm on every call with, the engineers, I'm learning the process, but I do have people on my team who are actually executing on this and have done it for a while. So while I agree with keeping focus on one asset class, I don't agree about it from a capital standpoint because capital can go into multiple asset classes and I think it should from a diversification real estate standpoint. So my personal opinion, my own money is not just in multifamily. I'm a passive in so many deals. And the deals which didn't pay me in 2020 were multifamily. The deals which paid me were outside of multifamily and all these other assets that we popularly invest in. So it really changed my attitude there with land. And also senior living, because I see it as an evolution of multifamily. I see the long-term growth there. And I feel like it's an asset class that is going to have a big upside in the next 20 years. And the fact that There is this huge population of seniors who are turning 65 and over, and there is that need in that space. So for me, it's sort of like a progression of multifamily, if you will, because if you take an independent living facility, it's really not that different from multifamily. You might add some amenities, but it's an extension of multifamily. When you start getting into assisted living memory care, that's a little bit different. I agree. So it's going to be baby steps for me. I want to learn this thing and I want to hopefully transition. Yeah, there's a lot that I want to dive into. We don't have time for all of it, but I am going to reiterate what you said about cash flow and equity. And I think for the best ever listeners, it's really important to understand this, that not every investor wants the cash flow. There's several deals that I've invested in and I might be the only investor or one of two or three investors on smaller deals. And the GPs will go out of their way to give me that 8% pref, when in reality, all it is, is an accounting headache. I don't want it. I'd rather just wait until the end and maybe give me a little bit higher return. 
but there's a lot of investors out there that don't want the cash flow. They want the equity and the high returns at the very end. So I'm glad you pointed that out. With land development, do you typically sell the property when it's shovel ready, or do you go into the development process as well? Depends on the project, doing both. So let's say I take a 130-acre piece of land and I separate it out into single-family, multi-family retail. So we might sell the retail section and the single-family section to builders, and we might just keep the multi-family and build on it. So I haven't gotten that far in my projects because I just started land development. So we are building a set of townhomes in one project that I'm a part of. We're building 98 townhomes, so we'll run them. We'll give some townhomes away to investors, actually, on a first-come-first-serve, and then the rest will be run as a built-to-rent community, which is literally an apartment complex. So a little bit of both. I'd say when and if we can take the money off the table after the entitlement process and the horizontal development, we will. My partner and I were just talking. We have something coming up in San Antonio, and we're like, should we wait for horizontal? Should we just entitle and go a quick exit? Sometimes the quick wins are good. One, it gives investors back capital quickly. And two, it provides this high IRR for the capital. And it's what, a quick win for us. Sorry, what is horizontal development? So the horizontal is a second phase. So the first phase, we get through the permits and the approvals with the city. And we figure out where the easements. The horizontal development is when we lay down the utilities, lay down the roads, And typically, it's only after that that it's really shovel-ready. Well, it's shovel-ready for horizontal development. I'll take that back. It's shovel-ready for horizontal development after the first phase. And then it's really ready for vertical construction after the second phase of horizontal development, when the utilities are there and the roads are laid out, and now we are ready to build the vertical structures. So I'm the opposite. I would rather sell off the multifamily development land and keep all of the commercial. Why are you selling that off? And have you looked at the returns on that? Well, I think we just haven't been into retail. I know you do retail. Maybe I'll call you. (laughs) Yeah. If you can pre-lease a lot of those retail spots before you even break ground, you could build a suit, get long-term leases, apply ridiculously low cap rates to them and make a lot of money. Okay, we should talk offline. Yeah, I would look into it for sure. There's higher returns in retail development versus multifamily. My opinion, but I'm biased. I agree with you, and I think it's one of those things we don't know what we don't know. When we sell retail at like $15, $20 a foot, for us, it's a quick win. We get the money. We are able to literally keep the multifamily parcel or whatever we want to build. Let's say build to rent parcel for nothing. Once we've sold off the other pieces of parcels. Got it. Kavita, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Start small, start today. I love it. Kavita, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, bring it on. All right. What is the best ever book you recently read? I'd say Alchemist. I didn't recently read it, but I continue to recently brush on it all the time. I love that book. What's your big takeaway from that book? Just follow your heart. Where your heart leads you, where your intuition leads you, that's where you're supposed to be. Kavita, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I'd say I do support some charities in India. Obviously, it's very important for me, having grown up there, to support folks that I have back home. Besides my family, also for education and others, I have some folks that I support back home for the education and also other needs like disabled people. 
And Kavita, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? You can go to my website, cherrystreet.us. Street all spelled out, like Wall Street. People always somehow remember me as Cherry. Oh, you have that Cherry company because my logo has two cherries in it. So I said, no, no, Cherry Street, like Wall Street. (laughs) Awesome. Kavita, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Starting out in tech, having some big setbacks in your life and accomplishing so much in the last 12 years. Again, thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me on, Ash. I appreciate it. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with anyone you think can benefit from it. And also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.